Hi, this is Shannon. Welcome to the Untold Story podcast, the space where we capture the journeys of everyday people. Each story is unique and I can't imagine not hearing them. Without telling us about yourself, your life, it will be lost forever. We want to hold on to those for you, your family and future generations. So, Chris, thank you for um, being part of the podcast today. Tell me about yourself in a few words. Um, I'm 44. Uh, in a cafe locally. I came out to Australia when I was 16 by myself. Um, I was adopted. So I've got two families yeah. um, back home. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, predominantly the most of my life has been Within Australia. In Australia. So when did you find out? You mentioned that you were adopted. So I'm curious to sort of start on there. So when did you find out that you were adopted? Um, I don't ever really remember being told because I was I was raised with an older brother that was adopted from a different family too. Yeah. So I think there was just kind of a – I don't think – I don't recall ever really being sat down and being told that I was adopted. It was a conversation that was just kind of always there in the house. Both my, my mother was English too. Um and then my father is a like a Pakeha guy. Um, we there was wasn't much of a resemblance between all of us anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, so from the outside, it's probably quite obvious that there was a, a difference with us. Yeah. So when you were saying it wasn't really sort of spoken about, or you were sat down and uh, and told. Yep. When did you feel that you knew that you were adopted? Um, look, I've. I can't really pinpoint a moment. I, yeah. I, it's something that I just grew up with. So, I mean, so you've it always sort of known. Yeah, yeah. It, it was never. It was never really a. It was never really an issue or a conversation. Yeah. Um, and like it would only ever come up. I get like I remember going to school and having to do family trees and things like that, and not having having to question that information and what I could actually give. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I know there was a bit of animosity on my father's side from them not being able to have children of their own. Um, So that was kind of an issue growing up. So do you know of your birth family? I know my birth mother. Um, My birth father's details were falsified. Um, So my my birth mother is of of Māori's descent, Um, but because I was mixed at the time, um, it was easier for her to put down another Māori boy um, to try and protect the family. Okay. Um, and she was also very young, so I think she was only 15 when she, when, had, when she had me. So she was put into a halfway house until she had had that, um, until she'd had me. And how did you find out that was that was your birth mother? Were your adopted family um, open with that information? Uh, no, not really. So they, the files, are kept, you can keep the files updated in New Zealand through social welfare. So Charmaine, my birth mother, had, had been updating those files. Um, I went home, I think, the first time when I was about 19 after I came here. Went to social welfare and because it's on file and because I was of legal age, they could just release that information. 
Um, so they literally just made a phone call to her to make sure that she was okay with me making contact. Um, and that information was just given to me. Okay. Um, and then, she, you know, she had written a couple of letters because they're allowed to put letters in place um, to give me information uh, before I'd met her. But that had also been sent to my adoptive family, but they hadn't passed that information on. Yeah. So to my understanding, yeah. there was no contact. So now sort of many years <laughs> on from yep. that, that you, you know your story, which yeah. is, you know, obviously really powerful to know. What's your relationship like do, with your parents as in your adopted parents, um, how do you refer to them? And what, what about your birth mum? Uh, look, my, my adopted parents, well, they are my mum and dad. They raised me. Dad. Yep. Um, Charmaine, who's my birth mother, I'll only refer to her as Charmaine. I respect the fact that she is my birth mother. But um, when I met her initially, I ended up with you know, four other siblings, um, all of you younger than me. Um, and I wasn't staying in the country either, so I actually backed away and dropped off the radar again for probably another 12, 13 years um, and then made contact again through Facebook, um, of all things. Um, was able to track a half-brother down and then we kind of restarted the relationship from that point because they'd basically become adults too. Yeah. Um, relationship with my adoptive parents their relationship just wasn't good in general. Right, okay. Which is kind of why I ended up over here. Um, so there was a big breakdown with my adoptive mother, so there was no contact with her until well, she passed away, and, but there was no contact for seven or eight years there. Um, and there's contact with my with my adoptive father. And he's but, currently in New Zealand? Yeah, so he's based in he's, – he's still in Auckland. Yeah. Um, and then the brother I grew up with, um, Jeff, he's he's got a business in Auckland too. So, I mean, he's still my closest sibling, even though I've got all these half-brothers and half-sisters. Yeah, he's the one. Um, that- but, I mean, he's he's the one that I'd depend on if, if anything was needed. Yeah, okay. So you mentioned in your book um, that you um, filled out for me that by the time you were 13 you had moved around 12 times. Yep. Explain yep. that to me. What was that? What was led well, to you moving around? Because my parents were separating constantly. Okay. Um, so, mum would quite, I'd quite often come home from school and mum would have the house packed up and would be going that day. Um, so, there was a constant, the household was constantly breaking down. Um, so, that just became kind of part of the norm. Um, and, you know, it could be anywhere from six weeks to six months. And then we'd always end up all back together. Okay. Um, that must have been really hard. Change of school. Well, I lost a lot. I missed a lot of school because um, it just really depended on where we ended up, yeah. and then how long it was that I was actually in those areas. Um, so there were big pockets, particularly through primary school, um, that I'd, I'd miss school. Um, so while when I'd got to high school, my brother, my brother had gone to university. Um, Mum and dad were living fairly separate, but they didn't separate at that time. It, they were generally financially bound. So mum could never actually afford to be out. So she would last as long as she could and then that's effectively how they would end up coming back together. Oh, so, I mean, they didn't finalise their divorce until I was, I think, 21 or 22. So did that lead you? So I'm curious in the move at the age of 16 um, from New Zealand to Australia. Yeah, look, I had, I actually got a, a scholarship with a thing called AFS, American um, Field Scholars, and I was supposed to go to America. Um 
But with what was kind of going on at home, mum had gotten through an illness and I'd taken a lot of time off school um, and I lost that scholarship. What was her illness? Uh, she had a cancer scare at that time. Okay. She was generally unwell for you various reasons. She passed away. What was? What did she pass away? Uh, I think it was for the angina. Like I said, we'd actually lost contact by that stage. Yeah. Um, she wasn't a healthy person. Okay. Um, yeah, she was a heavy smoker. She definitely had prescription drug issues. Um, and a lot of this we didn't really piece together until she'd actually the prescription drug side of it. That wasn't until I was in my late twenties that I actually kind of pieced together, you know, the doctor shopping and things like that, and it kind of explained why her mental health was probably pretty unstable. Yeah. But it was also a time where that wasn't really an openly discussed issue. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it wasn't something that, not like now we kind of, you know, mental illnesses on the. You know, it's it's always spoken about on the radar, um, open. And at that time, it was just you know, it, it just wasn't discussed. So something just wasn't quite right, but you just didn't know what it was. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, yeah, I lost that. I lost that scholarship. Um, I wasn't. How did that make you feel? Um, with the idea of that you were going from New Zealand to well, America, that was my escape plan. Yeah, okay. that was definitely my escape plan. And I was, you know, sporting wise, I was very good. Everything was kind of based off that. Um, my schooling was purely sports-based, so I went to a very good selective school based on my sports. Um, but once that kind of disappeared, um, I had no interest in being there. Um, and I also didn't have any interest in being at home, so I was really looking at a, at a means to get myself out of that. So you came over to Australia? So, yeah, I had a second cousin who was based in Sydney. Um, she had three boys, and she was willing to, to board me for three or four months while I'd finish would have been year 11 um, and I basically just worked as a nanny and took out, looked after the as a two, four and a six year old wow. um, so three, four mornings I'd get them up and get them ready for school and look after them routine nights a week and they, they paid for my accommodation and you were 16 at the time yep um, so I think I was there for maybe three, four months because I was only supposed to be here for that period of time um, so what led you to staying on? I had I didn't have any interest in going home. Um, I, I was determined to try and finish my HSC, uh, but the only way I could really do that was by going to TAFE because um, I couldn't really afford to be in school and live by myself and pay rent. No, I kind of I had to move out of where I was because I was going to overstay my welcome. Yeah. So I got my own flat down in Manly, um, but at that time I was I was paying 110 a week in rent and earning 140 dollars washing dishes. Because there was no government support for me here, um, it just wasn't enough. Which is how I ended up doing my chef's apprenticeship. So, I guess reflecting on that, your childhood was quite transient. Yeah. Um, it, by the sounds of it, it also empowered you to become quite independent at a young age. Yeah. Yeah. So you own a local business, Cafe Blackbird. Yeah. Tell me about your career, your love for cooking, because um, your first job was a screen printer. Yeah, but that was like I was, you know, probably a thirteen-year-old kid. Doing that, and I'd literally, I was always, I always worked. I was always looking to earn money and have some independence. So that had just come up by ringing around places and trying to find a job. <coughs> the cooking side of things, I really just fell into. Yeah. So tell me so, about your cooking career. Um, the girlfriend I had when I came to Australia, her mum owned a catering business, um, so I'd help out of that, <coughs> and then she worked in a cafe, so I ended up washing dishes in a cafe there, and then. We lived across the road from the Newport Arms in Sydney and there was a little boutique hotel next to that. Um, so I ended up washing dishes there and then doing breakfast service 
um, and then started my apprenticeship with them. So it wasn't like it wasn't a planned career. It wasn't something that I had a burning desire to do. And are you thankful looking back at that that you started doing the dishes to where your career's taken you today? Yeah, look, I've I've jumped in and out of it a hundred times. Yeah. So I mean, if I I think if I had the ability to study earlier and to do something else, I probably would have. And what would that be, um, do you think? Look, I would have liked to have gone into probably psychology or youth services or working with kids. Yeah. And is that um, probably from your reflection on your childhood? Yeah, I think so. Hoping others were maybe there for you. So from reading your All About Me book, you met your wife, Alice, um, through cooking? Yeah. Because yeah. um, she's a chef too? Yeah. So tell me about meeting Alice and about Alice. Um. Yes, I mean, I, look, I, I, I travelled quite a bit, and then I went back to Sydney, and I was stayed in the centre of Sydney, so I was living in in Kings Cross, and started working up in Fox Studios. So Alice was just working in the kitchen up there. Um. Yeah. So there's really not much, too much of a story there. We kind of, we obviously we met through that. We started seeing each other quite quickly. I only actually stayed in that job, I think, about six or seven weeks wasn't really for me um and we kind of moved on and then she was a doctor too we just there was a lot of commonalities with each other um so you married in 2004 yep yeah and where did you guys get married uh under the harbour ridge lovely yeah so alice is the granddaughter of gough whitlam yep who was the 21st prime minister of australia yep so tell me when she had told you that did you did you know of of Whitlam? I didn't. Um, I'd look. I'd I'd heard the name. I didn't know much of the history. Um, Alice was a doctor from Thailand, so she's there's no. You know, she doesn't look like a Whitlam, um, <laughs> so you know you don't know, kind of piece those things together. Um, her father at the time was uh, he was head of NRMA, so he was going through a lot of issues. Um, at that time, I think he demutualised it and he was in the papers a lot and there was an asset case. and So, I mean, that side of things more than golf probably impacted the beginning of our relationship because there's a lot of uncertainty on whether they're going to be staying in Sydney and uh, probably a lot of pressure on her to answer questions about her father. Yeah. Um, often, you know, there's enough information out there with golf. Yeah. Um, but in saying that too, they were just very normal people. Um, there wasn't really any stigma on what they'd achieved or what they'd done. Or, um, and I guess for me too, because I didn't grow up knowing who he was or knowing any of the backstory there was. Just like Alex's grandfather. Yeah, he didn't, it didn't mean that much to me, to be honest. <laughs> there was, what, looking back on, I guess, first meeting him and you know having a significance of someone in Australia, is there anything you've taken from him? Any sort of words of wisdom that you remember or you'd pass down? No, I don't. Um, they, out of all the people, all of the relationships I'd had, they were probably one of the most normal families I'd come across um, and probably one of the least judgmental too. Like they knew that my background was a bit different. Um, and they were accepting And there was, yeah, so none of that was ever an issue. Um, I mean, yeah, he was a great person to have a conversation with because obviously he'd done a lot and there was a lot of knowledge there. A lot of life lessons, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Bondi, you've said that that was a significant place to you. Yeah, it's um, – look, I like being by the coast, but I also 
I like being in cities and I like being in places where I can disappear among people. Um, and, and why do you think that is? Why do you like to disappear? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if it's more of a reflection of the time I've spent down here and the businesses we've had. Um, we came down here and we ran a pub and we lived in that pub. We lived in a small – you can't get away from from that. Yeah. And I think it's a hospitality thing too because you, you're always on. You're always having to talk to people. Um, when you've got your own businesses like the type that we do – you're having that conversation even if you're going down the street everything kind of reflects back to those things so just to have that break to um go somewhere that you're not you're not known yeah, yeah and, and, not- and you can it's entirely up to you you can engage if you want to or you don't have to and you're not being seen as being rude or antisocial or very understandable mm. so you now live and you work in Thoreau yeah so what led you to opening um Blackbird so you used to own a pub I think that fish and chip shop yeah look we've done a few things and what's um, What's the driver behind Look, Blackbird? Tell me about it. It was no real. It wasn't a planned thing. We 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 went overseas and came back. The shop had been for least for about three or four months and was empty. Um, we had some pretty bad experiences with probably the last two businesses we had. Um, so we ended up, you know, we we lost a house through through one of them. So we weren't really looking to do it again. Um, so what was the why that made you do it again? Because I know that we, I know that we're good at it. <laughs> I don't mean to say Very that. honest. <laughs> so, um, and I know I, I knew that we've been part of the community long enough, and being local was always going to help the business. Because it wasn't long before sort of opening, then COVID hit. No, we're only three months into it. And how did? Um, ha- and from what I've seen in the local community is you're assisting need need to feed. Um, you're very community involved. Yeah. So that's yeah. probably kept you going through COVID is that the community are backing you because you're uh, backing the community? I think it's a bit of both. But also you've um yeah, you've you've got to evolve with those situations. Like you can you can you can sit down and say, Oh, this is terrible and I'm not gonna get through it. Or you you've got to figure out a way to make it work. And to be honest with you, and through all there's so many commuters to Sydney. When COVID actually hit, Monday to Friday was busier than it's ever been. Um, so if you can figure out a way to make those things work, um, it, it'll work for you. And that that period of time, that nine months in particular, we, we doubled the business. It, it was it was actually a really, really good thing for us. It worked um, in your favour. Because we were um, in a super competitive space. Very competitive um, space. And, you know, we've got really well-established places around us. So to be able to stand out, um, we were struggling in that first three or four months to try and find a point of difference. Um, but we've always want to be community involved anyway. Um, to do things like need to feed and that, it, it costs us nothing. It, so, it makes such a difference. Yeah. So what would you say your biggest challenge with running a business is to other people out there considering opening up a business? Um, the family work-life balance, definitely. And We've got two daughters, so trying to... Um, and it is a small business, um, and I can't. I mean, I I'm there seven days a week. I am the only chef. I can't. With COVID, there aren't visa workers, and it's really, really hard to fill those positions to get that staff. Um, so to try and find a balance between being able to be there for the kids and being able to do things with the kids, and make sure the business is kind of running how we want it, it's that's a constant battle. So I'm assuming one of your daughters is. 
Isabel. Yeah. Because so, I can see the tattoo on your arm. Yeah, I've got Isabella and, Isabella and Charlotte. And Charlotte. So how old are they? Uh, Izzy's, she's 15 and Charlotte's 11. And they're your, what keeps you going? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, they're an interesting mix too because obviously both of us being adopted, they've... I think the family tree and family history is probably more confusing for them than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about the girls. Um, if you had to describe Isabella. Uh, Isabella's a mother. She's quite passive. Um, would like to change the world for the better and you know, she's 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 quite she's you know, she's very kind hearted, quite a mature girl for her age. And Charlotte? Um, Charlotte's definitely my child. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and what, makes, what, do you, what do you mean in that? <laughs> oh, well, she's got it. I mean, she, look, she's she's very headstrong in her process. Yeah. Um, you, you can't sway her left or right if she if she's if this is what she wants, then that's how it's going to be, and that's going to how it's going to pan out for her. Um, she's got a tendency to kind of. It comes out of her mouth before it's been been processed. Yep. So I mean, she's the one that we've got to kind of watch and pull into line a bit more, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you spoke about the work life balance there. Yeah. You're being the chef seven days a week. Yep. How does that affect the household? How does that be, being there to support the girls and being part of their, I guess, childhood years? Yeah. How do you find? The time? Uh, it, I mean, we're lucky in it's, it, we are, I can generally get out of there at three o'clock in the afternoon, so I can generally be there in the afternoons. And they're both kind of at that age now that they want to be doing their own thing most of the time. A bit more independence. Um, but, I mean, obviously you'd like to have more freedom to actually be able to do more stuff with them. Um, and I guess I think, I, again, with borders closed and things like that, we're not worried about going on holiday. That's kind of adjusted all that thought process anyway. There's a lot of things that we can't do. So there's not a sense of missing out on, on anything. Um, Isabella works in the business a bit. Charlotte will be starting to. Yeah. Um, but the hardest thing, I guess, is trying to make sure that everything isn't about, about the shop. Um, you know, trying to keep those conversations out of the house. Um, so Finding that real balance. Yeah, yeah. So on your arm, you have a tattoo of someone. Tell me about that. Um, that would be my great 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 grandfather. Yeah, and tell me about him. Um, he was a tribe leader. Um, so he defended uh, the Hanua Rangers, um, like south of Auckland. Uh, yeah, he's just he's just very well revered um, with the local tribe um, and with his local area. Um, that's probably that's why well, that is my most recent. Um, is, is that from a photo of him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Replicated over. Yeah. Um, but I mean, all this is relatively fresh information for me because, um, again, my birth mother was quite disconnected from her cultural side because of the way the. Um, well, basically, my pregnancy was kind of handled. Yeah. Um, so, um, so to try yeah. and pull that information, I've got to try and do it through my half sister, who's probably a bit more connected, um, and one of my half brothers. But then, so there's four half brothers, a half sister, but there's six dads. So there's 
I'm like confusing <laughs> yeah. information. Yeah. So pulling your, your genogram together is not an easy task. No, not at all. So in the book, um, we I like to ask around your later life wishes. So yep. your own later life wishes, you mentioned um, that you haven't really thought of your future, just no, your children's no. future. Yeah. Why do you think you haven't thought about your future? Well, I don't. Look, I'm... I'm not really a person that ponders yesterday and really looks too far forward too, too far forward to, to tomorrow either, to be honest. Um, my, my only concern is, is where they're going to end up in that context. So um, I'm going to ask you if you could today tell um, Isabel and Charlotte something that they haven't heard from you before about what you wish for them for their future, what would that be today? <sighs> Um, look, I I just want them to be able to confidently pursue their dreams and their position and what, what they want to achieve um, and not hold back in any way, thinking that it's not achievable. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd... I find with like with Isabella in particular, she spends a lot of time worrying about other people's happinesses and other people's outcomes. That there's probably not enough concentration on herself to get herself where she wants to be. You want to guard her in knowing that. I just wanted to be probably a little bit more selfish in their wants and desires. Yeah. Um, and for Alice, if you could give Alice a message about. <laughs> Don't <you> should listen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Alice is probably the one that worries the most in the family. I, I guess I'm the one that, that doesn't. Um, I don't. Yeah. I think your outcomes are going to be fine anyway. So there's probably no need to put extra pressure on yourself to to be anywhere in particular or be trying to go somewhere. Um, We've done okay. <laughs> so you mentioned around the tattoo with family. Yep. I just wanted to, um, do you think you want to continue to find out more about your family? Because you said it's been very recent since you've heard some information. Have you got that niggling to? Look, yeah, no. I've kind of hit a wall with it anyway. I mean, there's only so much I can get out of my birth mother. Uh, my birth father's unknown, so there's nothing there. Um, and I think, I mean, the biggest lesson I, th I think that me and Elle have kind of Come to the conclusion with like I'm, I've always probably been a little bit more curious, but I think that's more to do with the instability I had at home. Where Alice just doesn't care; she's got no interest whatsoever. Um, she's got a family; she's got a good family, and she's been really, really happy with that. So she's had she's had no desire to to look beyond that. So I mean, I know we both kind of went into um, you know ancestry.coms and things like that, but there was more to give the kids more information. Um, but the whole adoption thing is just, yeah. I mean, everyone takes it differently. She, she's got a brother that was adopted from uh, Bogota in Colombia. Um, and he spent a good portion of his life seeking and finding that information. He, he lives over there now. Um, so the cause and effect's different for everybody. Everyone takes a different journey yeah. with it. So from reading your book, from getting to know you a little bit today, from knowing a bit about your cafe, it's clear that food's really important to you. Yeah. So a bit more lighthearted. If I could cook you a meal, what would you choose me to cook you? Probably something really simple. <laughs> um, I'm not a great cook, so I'm glad on that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm happy for anyone to cook me anything, to be honest. What's your favourite um, meal? My favourite meal? 
look, anything Asian. Um, we I'll, look. I love Japanese food and I love Vietnamese food. So my last one to you then is: where what is your favorite restaurant? If you could go somewhere for dinner tonight that you haven't been in a while, where would you choose to go? Uh, look, there's a really, really good ramen place in the train station in Kyoto. That's where I'd go. That's where you go? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. I mean, that's one of the most memorable meals I've had. Yeah. Uh, there's a really good ramen um, place in Crowsness too. Though. Is it? That's yeah. where I'd go. <laughs> so, yeah, Chris, thank you for sharing part of your story with me today. Um, it's been great to get a bit of insight into your upbringing around your career path and Blackbird. Yep. So I'd like to thank you for that. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you. So that was another interesting story. Has that made you think about capturing yours or a loved one's? If it has, head over to our website, theuntoldstory.com.au. I'm Shannon, the founder of The Untold Story. This podcast is driven from working with young people in foster care who didn't know their own. If you'd like to hear more, jump over to our socials at The Untold Story. If I could go back in time, I'd pack my bags right now. If I could play back rewind, I wouldn't think twice. A pair of jeans and a dusty shirt, we didn't have a dime. No, you and me were poor as dirt, and all we had was time. When you and me were poor as dirt, and all we had was time.